The Brewing Network is proud to present Beer Radio that turns ordinary homebrew into award-winning beer. The Jameel Show. And now, your hosts, Jameel Zainashef and John Plisse. Welcome, my Bruin brothers and sisters, to the show. Hi, Jay-Z. Hey, I miss John. you, buddy. I miss you, too. <laughs> yeah. So where are you right See, now? Seeing your smiling face would... Uh, Make I am, I'm calling in on Skype, and uh, we're going to do this show remote, in a way. You're there in the studio. I'm here. <laughs> All by yourself. <laughs> All by yourself, in, in the toilet with the fan, yeah. It does sound like a toilet. A lot of reverberation, but it sounds good. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes we got to do what we got to do in order to uh, take care of family and stuff. So, yeah. uh, I am I am on Skype today, but uh, you know, the show's still live. And uh, those of you listening, uh, you can uh, chat now. You know, on the website, there's a big chat now button. Click on that, you can get in, and you can chat with the other people listening to the show, or you can call in one eight 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 four one beer, and uh, we'll take your questions as well. Today we are talking about classic American Pilsner, which is a which is a great beer. Have you uh, had a lot of experience with classic American Pilsner, John? Um, I brewed a lot of Pilsners, not not this style. I've never used uh, flake maize before. I just use a lot of German Pils, base malt, and some care Pils. So right. yeah, yeah, classic American Pilsner is is related to uh, the traditional. Uh, European Pilsners, the Czech Pils, the German Pilsners, you know, the uh, immigrants that came over from uh, Germany and uh, other places mm-hmm. uh, back in the early days of the uh, U.S., they, uh, you know, wanted to brew their beers here. So they would, uh, you know, they try, they didn't have exactly the same ingredients. Right. So they'd use a lot of indigenous ingredients. And, and one of the things they would use is uh, they had a six row barley malt here instead of the, the uh, two-row uh, Pilsner malt that they that they have over there. What's the difference between six-row? Well, well, there's six versus two. You know, there's three well, times as much. No. <laughs> <laughs> really? There's, there's, there's smaller grains, and there's more husk and more protein in them. Okay. And uh, one of the problems is you tend to end up with a hazy beer, and you end up with a lot of that, that protein. So they, they were cutting it with... Uh, uh, corn or rice to help uh, bring the protein content down. Hmm. So that's that's kind of how how that thing uh, came to pass. And they uh, they'd use you know uh, an American hop like Cluster. Or, you know there used to be a lot of Cluster being grown in like New York and mm-hmm. places like that. And that was the you know traditional American hop. And uh, you know it was uh, it was a beer that that it, it was different, but as good as you know the best, uh, you know, uh, European pilsners that were being made. Hmm. So, uh, you know, it, it was a, an American. You know, it became kind of a, an Americanized version of uh, you know the pilsner, but it wasn't uh, you know the watered down, uh, fairly uh, taste free uh, beers that uh, pass for American pilsners today. Right. Well, there's a misconception I think always using flaked maize that you're going to take out a lot of the body in your beer, but is that not the case with the classic American pills? Right, and, um, well, and the, the corn tends to uh, add some sweetness as well. 
And so it's something you need to balance. It's something you need to understand. If you're if you're doing rice, that tends to be even more thinning and uh, flavorless. So that can be an issue. But um, when you when you make a classic American pilsner, you know there's there's a lot going on. It's not a thin, flavorless beer. There's it's a it's a big, bold beer with uh, you know quite a bit going on. And there's there's kind of a couple of thoughts to it. One is um, uh, you know there's kind of like the pre-prohibition version, which was bigger and more bitter and more alcohol and more flavor. Mm-hmm. And then there's the post-prohibition, which came back and was a little bit, you know, lighter in alcohol and lower in, in uh, uh, hot bitterness and hot flavor. And then, you know, that kind of continued over time, similar to, you know, the English beers with the taxation and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, alcohol movements and things. You know, their their uh, gravity and alcohol levels have con- gone down from, you know, beers being, uh, you know, starting at 1080, now starting at, you know, 10. 40 or 1030 right you know they've come down over time they retained flavor here uh you know things it was kind of different you know things came down a little bit and then you know like the flavor dropped out Hmm. not the not the gravity so uh, it's kind of a but it, it, it occurred over time they were trying to appeal to more and more people right and uh you know they they say you know the invention of the six pack was uh I'm not sure if this is true, but I've read that the invention of the six-pack was so women. It was the the amount of beer that they figured a woman could carry home. What? <laughs> you know, that's you know, pretty bad. Yeah, you, know, you know. Otherwise, if if they had designed it for men, you know, the beer would always be sold in cases. Right. Like this. Yeah, yeah. But the six-pack was considered a convenient amount to to be able to easily carry home or something. Well, one in each hand, so you're all right. That's right. A couple strapped to the back and front. <laughs> yeah. Ride your tricycle home. Okay. Yeah. Right on. But, uh, you know, classic American Pilsner, I guess one of the guys, uh, you know, the people credited with bringing it back are, you know, George Fix, uh, Jeff Renner, uh, those guys. And, uh, you know, they they had a real interest in uh, in this a while back. But I'm very fortunate to uh, have as a friend and, and live fairly close to a guy named Dave Sapsis who mm-hmm. – uh, the people who brew a lot of classic American Pilsner, Jeff Renner will tell you that uh, Dave Sapsis probably brews the best classic American Pilsner of anybody. And what makes it spectacular? I'm just curious. Well, you know, it, it's that, you know, we've talked about this before. It's kind of that magical, mystical, you know, thing about um, a beer that when it's really good, you kind of you feel it, you sense it, you you just know it's good. It's you know it becomes hard to to pin a finger on it. Right. But you know the thing about his classic American Pilsner is it's it's clean. It's got a a nice uh, corn flavor without getting too corn sweet. Does it smell or, like corn? Uh, you get you get some corn aroma. Okay. You know you got to you got to have the corn aroma. You got to have the corn flavor. Mm. You gotta have it balanced with the maltiness. It's a fairly malty beer, uh, classic American Pilsner. And, uh, you know, uh, a a maltiness that is similar to like, uh, you know, uh, uh, like a Pilsner or Quell or something like that. You know, it's got a pretty substantial maltiness to it. Hmm. But the the corn needs to kind of marry in with that and not stand out, you know, so boldly that it's overwhelming. Right. 
not be in the background so you don't get any sense of it. Right. Uh, if you can do rice, of course, that's that's you're not going to get any of that. But okay. uh, you know, I, I'm I'm one of the people that believes in in corn uh, for the classic American pilsner and the in in Dave's. Uh, Beers, you know, the, the corn lays in there beautifully with the malt. It kind of dances around with the malt there. Mm-hmm. And then you drink it, there's a firm hop bitterness, there's a nice uh, hop flavor throughout, and a slight hop aroma. He doesn't get a lot of hop aroma in his. Hmm. Uh, I like more hop aroma in mine, but. Um, what type of hops does he use? Uh, he tends to use a bunch of different. Uh, I think he tends to use sauce in his. In his uh, in his uh, classic burning pills. That's what I use in mine. Okay. Um, and you could experiment with a different, you know, a bunch of different hops, but uh, I think he's he's using those. And, you know, the, um, you want some body to it, but you want the beer to finish uh, clean enough and crisp enough right. that, um, you know, it's not cloying or heavy. You want to be able to drink, you know, a substantial, you know, our forefathers were drinking this by, you know, large volumes. You right. know, they... They, uh, you know, they weren't uh, drinking little weenie little glasses of this. They were drinking quite a bit. And uh, in order to have that kind of a drinkable beer, you've got to finish out, you know, smooth, clean, no aftertaste, no, uh, um, you know, no no cloying sensations. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that depends on the yeast you use, um, and a, a lot of that depends on, you know, your process as well. But uh, that's one of the things that Dave's beers have is that nice finish, you know, clean, uh, you know, fairly crisp, fairly, you know, the good the good flavors dancing around. And it's one of the, you know, the styles that he really loves and brews really well. How does yours compare to his? Well, that's interesting. Um, you know, so having consumed his classic American Pilsner for, you know, quite a bit and, and I was like, okay, well, I'm going to brew one of these. And so I started, you know, he gave me his recipe and told me how he does it. But, you know, Dave has, uh, so, you know, when a different recipe, different brewer, or, you know, same recipe, different brewer, uh, you know, different equipment, right. the beer turns out differently, right? Well, <laughs> Dave has, the, for his equipment, he's got like this half-barrel wooden planter as his mash tun with a piece of, like, window screen as his false bottom, and he's okay. got, you know, a collection of rocks that he uses to hold down the screen. That's and, great. And uh, he's got, like, this old nasty tubing that he uses, like, binder clips to, you know, pinch it off and uh, to slow things down. And, See, and, it's all about uh, fermentation, right? Uh, yeah. And it, well, and, you know... What does he I, ferment in? <laughs> Plastic he's bucket? Got, yeah, he's got... Uh, no, he's, yeah, he's got some carboys. And he's got, uh, he's got like, an old... Uh, a pot, and then his his uh, you got you got to see this wort chiller he's got. It is this bizarre Chinese puzzle of copper tubing <laughs> with you know uh, handmade you know, bailing yeah. bailing wire, and uh, it looks like you know he was he got a coil of copper from the store. And uh, Dave knows I love him, <laughs> <He's> <laughs> I, his I respect his ability, but. You know, I just you know, it's just the funniest thing. It's like it looks like he ran over it with a truck a couple of right. times just by accident, and then said, "Oh well, that's good enough," and 
and you know threw it in the boil. He, free, he freezes it solid, and he's got like a pre-chiller, and the thing leaks like from ten different spots. Oh, lowers his gravity a little. Well, <laughs> it leaks outside the pot, so he, he's he's nice. got that controlled. But he makes great beer, and and one of the things he taught me is, uh, you know, sometimes some of the, the the things that we do and we're so anal about mm-hmm. really make no difference in the beer. And there's there's things people do that that make no difference, and some things that uh, you know. I'm sure if I took away you know one of Dave's favorite rocks, he'd have a hard time brewing because you know he wouldn't have you know, the right replacement rock for it that holds the screen down just just so. Yeah, well, he, but, he definitely uh, uh, defines homebrew. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very Belgian in his yeah. approach to some of this stuff. But you know that that whole equipment thing, and uh, you know. Uh, you know, a good piece of equipment like a you know a more beer fifteen fifty, it makes it easier to um, reproduce your steps. I think you know time after time, and it makes it easier to brew a batch of beer. Right. But it's not necessarily going to make you know that a, a fantastic beer. beer. Right. And it, it gives you some flexibility. There's some things that he can't do on his brewing system, but he's okay with it because he doesn't you know he doesn't do all the styles. He tends to to focus on a few. Right. Um, so you know, there's there's a benefit to the equipment, but uh, you know, you can certainly make a uh, great beer without it. Anyways, kind of got off on a tangent, but it's okay. Good story, man. Yeah. So uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm I'm trying to brew his beer and have it come out the same, and I'm, I'm brewing these classic American pilsners, and uh, they're turning out, uh, you know, as really good beer, but it's not the same as as his beer, and I want to make the same as his beer. And I'm brewing the and I. I take my time, I'm focused on everything, I brew it up, ferment this thing out, keg it, carbonate it, taste it, and pour it out. What? The I whole thing? Batch. Yeah. And then I you know, well, you brew another batch. That, <laughs> it's just not right. Ferment it, keg it, carbonate it, taste it. Not quite right. Pour it out. And I've poured out a lot of really good beer. As uh, you know, I was thinking about it later on. It's like, you know... Uh, it was at a time where I didn't have anybody who who really wanted to, you know, uh, you know, people would want to drink it, but you know, they didn't have like kegging setups. They want me to bottle it for them, all that nonsense. You can't do that anymore. We'll sell it as merch on our website. <laughs> well, now I got I got Justin. Yeah, you know, well, like a you know, built-in uh, bucket right there. There you go. So uh, you know, now I bring beer over to Justin, and uh, you know, it's not a problem, but. But it, when I was trying to dial that in, I poured out a ton of beer that that was actually quite good. I just couldn't drink it all, and I needed to uh, have room for, you know, brewing more. Well, it's interesting. You're comparing your beer to a home brewer is not a commercial example. So props to Dave, you know. Well, and that's interesting. You know, there really aren't a lot of uh, commercial examples out there. Every once in a while, somebody brews, you know, one that uh, commercial example at a brew pub or something. Right. Um, and some of them be good. Some of them aren't. Uh, one of the beers that Dave likes to compare to classic American Pilsner is uh, Bohemia. Bohemia. Bohemia, Bohemia, uh, Bohemia. Like a Pilsner Kel, or uh Bohemia is, you know, the Mexican uh, lager, and okay. they use corn in it. Right. And uh, it's not <coughs> um, a very... Uh, you know, it's not as... as uh, Bold and flavorful mm-hmm. as, you know, what I would imagine uh, pre-prohibition uh, 
classic American Pilsner might have been. Mm-hmm. Maybe more like, you know, uh, the post-Prohibition classic American Pilsner. But, uh, you know, I can see what he's, what he's saying. And especially if you get a fresh, it's got that nice corn aroma in there. It's subtle. It's well mixed in with the, uh, you know, the malt character of it. Uh, the hops were a little low, I would, I would consider for, you know, classic American Pilsner. But it's quite good. And it's, it's amazing, uh, you know, how, you know, there was the, the similar thing with, uh, you know, Vienna lagers, right? So people say Negro Modelo, uh, you know, it's like a, one of the only brewed Vienna lagers still. It's a little more roasty than uh, I think it should be. But, mm. uh, you know, it's, it's interesting that some of these, uh, you know, lager types have kind of migrated to south of the border over time. Nice. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk uh, more about the flavor and aroma profile of uh, Classic American Pilsner, and we'll get into the recipe formulation. If you want to call in, it's 1-888-41-BEER, and we'll be back after the short break. Roll out the barrel and lend me your ears. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. I like beer. It helps me unwind and sometimes it makes me feel mellow. This is the Jameel Show. All right, we're back from break. You're listening to Jamil's show. We're talking about classic American pilsners today. Mm. Good. I wish I would have brewed one about three months ago. Sounds good right about yeah. now. Well, and, you know, uh, if you brew it today or, you know, this week or this weekend, the thought is it will be ready for uh, 4th of July. Mm. You know, good classic American pilsner for a classic American holiday. Right. So like a four-week ferment and then condition and drink. Uh, yeah, yeah, you should be should be uh, good to go around Fourth uh, of July. Good for the summer barbecues and all that stuff. Party at your house, Jay. Why not? <laughs> Why not? You, we do need to have a party at your house. You and the family would be great. The whole crew. What do you think? Party at your meals. Yep. July Fourth. Can we there party in the cold room? <laughs> sure. I just want to hang out in the cold room and party there. Yeah, especially 4th of July around here is like 110 degrees. I'm going to unplug your air conditioner in your cold room. Yeah. Why, thank you. <laughs> and that, that goes with along with you peeing in a bottle to make a <gasps> classic American Pilsner. What's wrong with John lately? <laughs> I don't know. He's got some anger issues building up. Uh, I'm, I'm happy. <laughs> I'm sure that's like John Wayne Gacy said the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, uh, so we're talking about classic American Pilsner, and uh, all right, so you're the the beer overall. You're going to get uh, in the 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 flavor and aroma. You're going to get some maltiness, uh, you know, a, a good uh, firm maltiness. Uh, you're going to get a little bit of uh, maybe a grainy sweetness and a little bit of corn going on. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you don't want it to be too high. Uh, it should be should be clean, lager-like, but you know a, a, a corn undertone. Uh, a classic uh, noble hops like um, 
you know, for an American version of Cluster or, you know, Sauce or uh, Holler Tower or Tetanang, something like that. It's going to be a yellow or uh, trend, tending towards a golden color, uh, you know, a nice big head on it. It's going to be um, uh, malty in flavor. You're going to get some corn in the flavor, or if you use rice, you're not going to get that, but I, I would go with the corn. Uh, a good, uh, fairly firm hot bitterness. Um, you know, not not wimpy. This is going to be like a uh, you know European pills. You know, a classic. Uh, you know, Pilsner Qual, maybe even a little firmer than that. And uh, you're going to get uh, some hot flavor. You're going to get uh, uh, a good clean finish to it, like a good lager. Right. Uh, nice, nice body and mouthfeel. Um, I like them to finish a little, uh, you know, crisper and not quite too full of body. Mm-hmm. Um, you should have a, a fairly high carbonation, like a like a pilsner does, uh, in uh, you know the European pilsners do. A little less than maybe uh, uh, current American uh, pilsners do, but uh, still fairly high. It's, it's substantial. What's the after? Is the aftertaste mostly hops that you get as far in the dry finish, or yeah, mal- some malt and, and hops. Hmm. Uh, you know, that's you don't want uh, anything cloying. You want hmm. it to be you know fairly clean, not not a lot of esters or alcohol, things like that. Should be uh, you know good lager fermentation. And uh, you know, it's, it's it's substantial. When you talk American pilsner, people tend to think of Bud Miller Coors and. And we're talking about Bud Miller, of course, before you know they started to try and uh, appeal to the mass audience. You know, right. make a fine product, but it's um, you know it's more uh, for for the general. Yeah, you know, it's the beer most people drink in the world. But uh, you know, we're talking about something. Uh, you know, it, it's history with a lot more you know substantial uh, of body and flavor and malt and hops and you know uh, you know big big classic uh, pilsner. And, uh, you know, this traditionally was brewed with uh, six-row uh, Pilsner malt and uh, corn or rice and uh, to dilute down the uh, excessive protein in those six-row pils- uh, six barleys. And that's all you would use for your grain? Which is right. Really. Right. Now, today, I personally uh, use uh, a continental uh, two-row. Okay. And uh, I think that... Uh, Continental from where is you know European continent when they say continental they're talking about uh, okay. you know Europe right uh, you can use an American uh, two row Pilsner malt but you want to use a Pilsner malt and uh, if you use a Pilsner malt any of the uh, currently available Pilsner malts are quite good and I think that'll give you a, a nice flavor and I think that's quite acceptable that's going to be about seventy. Seventy to eighty percent of your grist is all six row, six row or two row right. pilsner, pilsner malt. Of okay, some kind, right. The remaining twenty to thirty percent of your grist is going to be flaked corn or some some sort of corn. If you're going to use, uh, you can use flaked corn and it's pre-gelatinized, and you can just throw it in your mash. Hmm. That's what I use. You want to try and get it as fresh as possible. Interesting thing about corn is it goes rancid pretty fast once it's gelatinized. So if you're going to do it, you know, you get it from a high volume uh, supplier, and uh, you know the flaked maize is pre-gelatinized is ready to go. You can just toss it into the uh, into the mash with the the grains, run it through your mill. That's fine, mm-hmm. along with the other grains to mix it mix it all up. 
and uh, you know you can do a single infusion, real simple. I do mine at 148 degrees Fahrenheit, which is about uh, that's low for you, 65 degrees centigrade. Right. Yeah, um, because with uh, and it depends on the kind of yeast you're going to use. Uh, I tend to use. Uh, yeasts that give you a little more body and a little more malt and a little more uh, towards that focus. So mm-hmm. I like a little lower mash temperature. If you can use a drier yeast, like uh, uh, a Czech Pils yeast, or well, the Southern is is fairly malty. Okay. Um, if you're gonna, you know, I would. If you can use something like a WLP 800, mm-hmm. uh, which is the White Labs Pilsner, or the 2278, the Czech Pils from Y East, it's gonna be a little drier, and maybe you bump the mash temp up uh, a little bit, go up to you know 150 or so. But in that lower range, the corn adds a little sweetness even after it ferments out, I think, and uh, you, know, you don't want it to, to be perceived as being too sweet. Mm. So uh, I tend to be around there. How do you know if the flaked corn is bad? Uh, you know, smell it, taste it. If you know it, you know it'll be uh, rancid. You know the difference between uh, you know corn on the cob and corn out of the trash can. Uh, oh, barely. <laughs> <laughs> From my days living homeless on the street, mm-hmm. I can tell you there's a big difference between fresh corn and corn out of the trash can. So it really just smells moldy or whatever. Uh, yeah, and you know there's oils in uh, in some of the corn as well, and. Uh, you know, there's a slight uh, bit of oil in there, and that oil can go rancid. Hmm. So, uh, you know, and, and you know, if it tastes fresh, then then it's fine. And you know, if you're if you're buying from a place that turns over their their stock fairly often, then it's not not an issue. The other thing you can do is, um, and this is what uh, Dave Sapsis does, is he goes with uh, polenta, which is essentially corn that's ground up, and they remove. All the little bits that you don't want in there, the uh, uh, bits of corn that that you don't need that uh, are uh, oily and such. Wow, polenta. Same and, percentage uh, he uses? Yeah, but polenta, the thing is, that's not uh, uh, prepared for use in the mash. And what you're going to need to do with the uh, polenta is do a cereal mash. Okay, So a cereal mash... You do this with grains that uh, you need to, uh, uh, you know, you'll you'll need to uh, kind of break down the, the starches so it's available for the enzymes in your main mash to convert. Right. And what you'll do is you'll take your your corn. So uh, for a um, you know like 11 gallon batch, you're, you got about you know six pounds of corn, and you would uh, take this. You'd add like 25% as much um, regular crushed barley. So you'd take, uh, you know, a pound and a half of crushed barley, mix it in with this this uh, polenta, add some water, so it's kind of like a thick cereal, and you'd heat it up to about, uh, you know, 50 degrees centigrade, uh, 122 Fahrenheit, right, uh, and do your protein rest. Let it sit there. Uh, for about 20 minutes. Then you raise it up for your sacrification rest around, you know, uh, 67 or so uh, degrees centigrade, 152 Fahrenheit. Let that rest for 20, 30 minutes. And then you're going to raise it up to a boil. And you're going to have to uh, you cook the, the cereal. And this is uh, uh, how you do this uh, cereal mash. 
you'll you'll boil it for another 30 or so minutes. You you might need to add more water as this process goes along because what's going to happen is those starches are going to kind of fluff up and expand and become. Uh, uh, they're going to take on more water. They're going to be uh, available for the enzymes to degrade. Right. So you'll add. Some, you probably need to add some more water. So you end up with a thick brick of uh, cooked polenta there, mm-hmm. right? And uh, just keep it thin enough and boil it for 30 minutes or 30, 45 minutes, whatever. And that'll break down the starches. And then you add that to your regular old mash. Wow. So. If you're going to dough in uh, your main mash while this thing's sitting on the boil, that's fine, but you're going to want probably a slightly lower temperature on your mash because when you add, uh, you know, these uh, couple of gallons of boiling uh, liquid, it's going to raise your mash temp up. Okay. And you can kind of do that uh, similar in a way to decoction. So you, so you have um, two mashes going then. You have the boiling right. one going. And then what, right. what would the temperature be on your your single infusion mash? Like around 100, 110? Well, if I was if I was doing just plain single infusion with flaked maize, no, I would do like one. I'm saying oh, okay. on the other side, if you had your one mash and you're going to add in this boiling mash into well, what temperature are you going for? Well, it depends a lot on, um, you know, the, the, the different brewing systems, the size of the batch, okay. you know, ambient temperatures. So okay. you're going to kind of have to experiment, but... Um, you know, you figure the boiling mash is at 212. Right. And you have X amount of volume. And just compare that against the volume you have at whatever temp. Okay. So if, you know, it's, um, you know, half the volume, it's going to raise it up by, you know, uh, a quarter or whatever. Okay. Now, do you do this process yourself, too, for yours? No, I don't. I go with the flaked maize. Huh. Now, if you're, if you're, the other thing, if you're going to do six row and you want to use, uh, you know, all, all this you can you can do a step mash on this. This is probably one of the beers that you can consider a step mash. If you did, you might want to do the classic uh, 50, 60, 70 thing, which is 50 centigrade, 60 centigrade, 70 centigrade, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right. Or, uh, so you're going to do like 125, 120, 122, 140, 158, or one. Yeah, it's around in there. Okay. Um, and uh, you're going to, so um, at the 122, you're getting your protein rest and uh, breaking down the proteins. At 140, you're favoring, you know, uh, highly uh, uh, fermentable word. And at 158, you're favoring uh, the more uh, long-chain de- dextrins. Hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, that is kind of, you know, the classic thing. You do like 20 minutes at each or, you know, whatever schedule you want it to work out. With uh, the highly modified malts, you know, conversion happens so darn fast that, uh, you know, if you if you do too long a rest at any of those temperatures, it ends up, you know, converting uh, more. Uh, or, or at, you know, if you're going in at, uh, or if you're going through a rest from 140 to 158 very slowly, right? Um, you know, things tend to already been pretty much converted by the time you get to 158, so. Now, do you mash out at all, or do you just... Yeah, then you can mash out. You okay. can bring it up to you know 167, okay. uh, and and that uh, will be fine. Of course, you want to recirculate as always. Right. Um, hey, let me back it up for a second. Do you, uh, what about using? This is a weird question in the chat room. Um, white corn flour. White corn flour. Um, Would you be able to mash with that? 
I don't think that uh, I'm not sure that is uh, uh, hmm. it is an interesting question an interesting I'm not I'm not sure how that's prepared and whether the uh, the starch is all available or not uh, um, yeah. uh, one interesting thing is the more you break down a grain you know if you turn it into flour or you know it uh, spoils faster so you know, the more oxygen exposure you have on the surface, uh, the quicker that's going to go bad. So that's one reason to go with polenta is it tends to retain its freshness longer right. than any of the other processed corns. And you can get polenta, you know, you go to just about any grocery store and you find a box of polenta on the shelf. Hmm. Um, so, you know, that might be one way to go or, uh, you know, corn grits or whatever. Okay. Fair enough. Um, Yeah, and if you're uh, listening, you can uh, chat just like that uh, uh, person did and uh, chat now button on the website, and that'll uh, get you in there. You can ask questions and chat with the other brewers, or if you want to call in, it's 1-888-401-BEER. We'll be back after a short break. Talking about classic American pilsners here on the Brewing Network, and uh, we were just talking about uh, the mash and uh, the grains that you go in there. So it's mainly uh, pilsner malt and uh, corn, and you can use the flake corn that you can get at your brew shop, or you can go to Polenta and you might get a, a fresher corn flavor. That's what uh, Dave Saftis tells me. It's like, ah, you know, the, the Polenta is really the way to go because. Uh, you know, it's fresher and you get a, a, a better clean uh, corn character than you do from some of the flake grains. Mm. So that would be one reason why you go through all that uh, cereal mashing uh, effort. As far as the hopping goes, uh, you can use, uh, you know, uh, American Cluster hops would be, if you can still get them, would be the, uh, you know, pro- probably the classic. Uh, you could use like a an Ultra Liberty or Crystal some of the, the more uh, you know, the Americanized versions of some of the traditional German hops. Uh, you can use Saas, Hallertauer, Tetanang, anything that would be used in a uh, Bohemian Pils or a, you know, a European Pilsner is an appropriate hop, if you ask me. As far as the bittering to gravity ratio that uh, uh, you would use, um, it's about uh, uh, 0.6. So uh, it's a it's fairly uh, firmly bittered beer. If uh, one person uh, had uh, emailed me and asked me uh, what uh, formula I was using to calculate this, so I use Rager in uh, in the uh, uh, ProMash. Rager, F- the Rager uh, calculation for okay. uh, hot bitterness, and I end up with about 35 IBUs in a uh, 1057 beer, about 14 Plato, 1058. Uh, so about a, a uh, 14 Plato beer. 
good amount of bitterness or change. And about 35 IBUs. Yeah, yeah you can you, you can range uh, down to you know 30 IBUs. You can range up to 40 IBUs. Around in there is a uh, pretty good. You know, it depends on uh, again on the type of yeast you're going to use as well. So if you're going to use something that's going to leave a lot more maltiness in there, uh, such as the iron yeast, the, the German Bach yeast from White Labs, or uh, you know the an Oktoberfest yeast or a South German lager yeast, something like those, they tend to um, be a little more malty. Then you might want to go, uh, you know, higher on the IBUs like this. If you're going to use a drier yeast like. Uh, the White Labs uh, 800, the Pilsner yeast, or the Y yeast uh, 2278, which is Czech Pils, then you might back off on the IBUs a little bit. But generally, an, an IBU swing of five IBUs in a beer like this is a subtle change. Is it noticeable then? Uh, it's noticeable to somebody that's, you know, uh, tasting them side by side or somebody right. who knows their stuff. Uh, interesting, uh, I think it, maybe I told this story before, but Dave Sapsis was uh, uh, judging at a competition uh, uh, up in Reno one year, and I had entered a North German Pilsner. There's another Pilsner that has quite a bit of firm bitterness and is a dry beer. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be very dry. And one year, you know, he thought it was uh, you know the best of show beer. He was doing best of show, and he told me afterwards, he goes, oh, is that your beer? He goes, wow. He goes, you know, I thought it really was, you know, Perhaps the best show beer it was, you know, uh, really good. He says that one thing, it could have been just a, a touch drier. Hmm. And so I rebrewed it, you know, and I used a lower mash temp, and I did everything that should make a drier beer. And I tasted it, and I'm like, yeah, okay, it's drier. I entered it the next year, and uh, I think it got like a second place. Didn't even get first place. Oh, I was wow. telling him, and he, and he judged that panel. I said, hey, you know, I said, you don't know anything about anything because that's a drier beer. And, you know, it should have should have been, you know, exactly what you were talking about. Yeah, he set you up. <laughs> well, no, he said, he goes, you know, uh, he says, you know, I, that one was sweeter than the one you entered a year ago. I'm like, how do you know that it's sweeter than one I I said, I brewed it. I tasted it. Yeah. I know it's drier. Right. He goes, he goes oh, I goes, ah. he goes, I may be wrong, but it really seemed that way to me. And he goes, I'm sorry. I, I must have made a mistake. Yeah. Well, I tasted those beers side by side. And yours was great. And damn, he was right. Was he really? He was right. Wow. So this is a year apart. And the guy remembered he's, your beer. He's tasted, you know, the the samples at judging a year apart. Two different beers. And he could tell me which one was drier. Huh. That's good. Guy's amazing. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. Wow. And he was totally right. And once I had him side by side, I'm just like, oh. Yeah. I had to go back and say, you know, I'm so sorry. I said, you so were, did you, you throw that out, man? too? When you got home? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know you don't make bad beer. You're just, you don't settle yeah, for well, average beer. Right. And you, well, if you if you do something, you got to do it right. Right, right. right. Or and, donate it at least. Well, yeah, if I, you know, now I've got, now I've got a sponge called Justin who will drink all this sponge. beer. Hey, I like that name. That <laughs> sponge called Justin. Justin. <laughs> yeah. What do call Sponge Justin now? There you go. Yeah. Justin Squarepants. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so I got off another tangent. But uh, so about 35 IBUs, I like using the sauce uh, hops. And I'll, uh, this is one of the beers that I thought would benefit from a lot of late hopping. And uh, Dr. Scott did that, and he got like uh, best of show at the uh, Homebrew Fest. Yeah, the Nor- Northern California. Yeah. 
Yeah, all late and, hops, uh, I guess you were saying. Right, yeah, he did massive, minutes. you know, like 20 minutes and later. Right. Uh, I would still throw in, uh, you know, some 60-minute uh, bittering hops okay. just to uh, give you, you know, it's it's got to be a firm bitterness. And sometimes that late hopping can be a little too uh, soft in the bitterness. It's a nice character, but in this beer, I think you need a little firmness in there. And then I would load up on some late hops, 20, 10, 5, 0. I, in the 10-gallon batch, I've got like 2 ounces going in at 20, 2 ounces going in at 10, 2 ounces going at 5, 2 ounces going at 0. Right. And, uh, you know, it makes for just wonderful hop character. Nice. It might be a little too much for a classic style, but, uh, you know, it, it tends to uh, drink beautifully, and, uh, you know, people tend to, to really like it that way. Where do you ferment this beer at? What temperature? Well, again, it's a lager. So what do we do with lagers? We pitch cold. <laughs> and uh, Some people do pitch cold, I hear. <coughs> and we uh, ferment cold and let it ri- rise up. So yeah. what I'll do is um, make myself a nice, big uh, starter or pitch of yeast. If if I'm going to do do this, usually uh, I'll work up my yeast batch or I'll uh, to the point where I can do like a kind of a, a lower gravity and Helles. Okay. And uh, I'll brew that first, and then I'll take the yeast cake from that, and I'll use that for you know classic American pilsner. Mm-hmm. And I tend to use one lager yeast, and I adjust my recipe to fit the lager yeast because the lager yeasts. Um, yeah, there's there's differences between them, but once you learn to use one and learn to use it well, and you can adjust your recipes to kind of fit, because some will be maltier, some will be drier, some will be, uh, or you know, some will be um, not as malty. Some will be dry, some will be sweet, some will be, uh, you know, uh, you know, more sulfury, less, or uh, more estery or less, and you can adjust your process and your recipe to make different beers with that yeast. And one of the Reasons I do that is so that I can have a nice, good pitch of lager yeast. You don't want to be having to always, you know, go from starter to, uh, you know, a lager uh, of uh, any substantial nature or, you know, big batch size. Right. It just, you know, you, you got to pitch enough yeast. Very important for for lagers. Jimmy. I know yeah. you, I know you're short on time, but I had a request. If you could quickly run down, give us a refresher on doing starter. Why, you know, we always should do starters. That's definitely the word, and maybe just a quick uh, synopsis of that whole deal. Of making a starter and using, yeah, it? yeah. yeah so uh, get yourself any sort of jar that you can boil in. Uh, 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 Erlenmeyer, uh, uh, Bomex, or Pyrex flask is is a great great. Uh, device for that. They're not too expensive. You can buy them online. Put in uh, for every 10 milliliters of water, put in one gram of dry malt extract. Put it on the stove. Boil it for 15 minutes with a piece of tin foil across top, aluminum foil across the top. Uh, Put in some ice water. Cool it down. Put it in the fridge. Cool it down to, to the appropriate temp for the yeast. Put your yeast in, shake it up, let it sit there, and, and there's your starter. Your starter is so fermenting cold, right? Uh, you know, what I tend to do on the loggers is I'll, I pre-can my uh, starter wort. Okay. That's another way to do it. But then I can put those jars of starter wort in the uh, fridge and okay. get them nice and cold. And uh, then I'll, I'll 
do that, and I'll add the yeast to that, and then I let it warm up a little bit as it goes. So it's similar to how I do the, the main ferment. What I'll do is I'll chill my wort down to um, 43, 44 degrees. I'll get rid of all the cold break material, and then I'll pitch my yeast. I'll let the yeast, a nice big uh, pitch of yeast or a nice, healthy, active uh, starter that's uh, going, and I'll pour that in, and I'll let... Uh, Fermentation slowly raise the temperature up and bring it up naturally to uh, between 48 and 50 degrees Fahrenheit, and I'll ferment around in there. If you uh, the the problem with you know putting the yeast in warm is um, you know you get you're going to get a lot of uh, ester production that you won't get if you go cold and go up. And this is the way that you know uh, all the classic German uh, breweries do it. They start cold and let it rise up. Same way Dan Gordon does it, uh, you know. And I think that's one of the reasons that, of the breweries here in the U.S., I think one of the things that people have trouble doing is really good uh, German lagers. And I think one of the reasons Gordon Biersch does so well with it is because they do things like the ferment this way. You know, I, I think it makes a difference. I was talking to uh, Dan Gordon a couple of days ago about the show coming up, and he was even talking about doing that with ales. You know, pitch around 60, 62 and bring them up to, you know, 66, 68 Fahrenheit. He said you're just helping the yeast out instead of shocking them. You're um, slowly introducing them to a nice, cool environment, and then you're bringing them up to their sweet spot, you know. So, and he had yeah, a, yeah, if the yeast were cool already. Right. If the yeast are at the fermentation temperature, I don't think there's a there's an issue with that. I, um, so if you can you pitch make, at yeah. 50, would you? Or would you pitch still cooled at 43 and bring it up to 50? On the lagers, I mean, you want it to be as clean as possible. And okay. so because of that, you really need to uh, go cold uh, and let it warm up as it goes. It, it does make a different beer. Um, I've tried warm and, and going down. And when I'm talking about warm, and you can get away with some warm, but it's not 75, 80 degrees like most people think. When you're talking about warm pitching, you might go like you know, below 60 Right. It might be, you know, 58, and then you're going to cool it down to 50. The problem is, uh, one of the one of the big problems is on brewing lager. If you drop the yeast in warm, and then you try and cool it down with any sort of speed, uh, the yeast say, well, it's getting cold, it's time to drop out, and they drop out. It's especially true on uh, a lot of ales. You're going to, you know, the yeast just... Close up shop and, and go home if you start dropping that temp too fast. Is there ester production though in that in sure. the growth phase? So is that why you probably want to pitch cold just because you don't well, you want to avoid that ester yeah. production? And and again, it makes a totally different beer if you if you try the two side by side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it's I think it's significant. On the ales, one of the things you need on the ales is you know some ester production. That it's the reason for using an ale yeast. Mm-hmm. You don't want everything so clean that there's no flavor to it. Even lagers, you're gonna get some yeast character. You're gonna get some sulfur. You're gonna get that's that's part of what makes a lager a lager is those those yeast characteristics that are, are common to lager yeast and the, and the fermentation process. The thing that makes an ale an ale right. is some of those esters, some of those that fermentation process, the things that the yeast produce that's other than the alcohol. If beer was just plain you know clean alcohol, water and malt, it 
it wouldn't be good. It would be a bad beer. It, it, it would lose so much of the character that makes us think beer is beer. There's a bunch of compounds that the yeast produce, and you need some of those in there. And and if you, uh, you know, again, so why I would go, you know, with an ale and an ale temperature, and uh, uh, you know, I, I think I think that's uh, important to that whole process. Well, I'll make an argument here though. But if you're a home brewer and you don't do starters and you're, you don't have the capability to do it. And you buy a vial of yeast or a dry dry pack of yeast from your homebrew shop. You're going to want to pitch warm just to get it to grow first so you don't shock it. Or, you know, you want to help it grow because yeast like warmth to grow no matter what strain. And if you can cool it down within 12 hours or 24 hours to your lager temperature, you're going to have more yeast growth. You're going to have more in this environment. And I think you'll have more yeast long term to actually make a clean pilsner to finish the beer out. Okay, so I wish I had you, war sound effects yeah. going on in the background. You know, and if if you're if you're happy with the beer that you make out of that, then that's fine. And but well, again, I'm, the the, que- the question that I get from homebrewers is not how do I make okay beer. It's like how do I make the best beer possible. Right. Right. That's that's the question I get. But what are these off flavors that you could potentially get from a lager? Because all my lagers that have placed, I've pitched warm. And the one that I pitched cold has not placed. And, and I'm, and I'm supported by the fact that when you pitch warm, you're, you're, you're not shocking. You're, you're bringing up, if you pitch a vial of yeast and you pitch it cold into a cool environment, it's gonna take two to three hours for it to even start up and then you've got this huge lag time for it. So why not help it grow in the beginning sooner, get fermentation and growth going on, and then have it ferment out cool the next day? All right, so when Dan Gordon's here, oh, I'll, you're, 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 you're going to argue with him. About I will. That. I've already talked to Dan. Know you, don't, yeah. you don't believe me, but uh, um, you know, and and whether something places in competition or not is not necessarily you know, the indicator of how good that beer is. Oh, right, right, right. All right, I do have some. I know we're getting uh, close on time here, and I got a couple questions to throw at you guys. Um, I don't know if you mentioned exactly what type of yeast you like to use for this beer. Somebody saw uh, that that um, I think it's Jeff Rayner likes to use the WLP 833. Um, what do you got on yeast, Jamil? Yeah, you know I I am a big fan as Jeff is of uh, you know the uh, Einger strain, which is um, you know Southern Germany uh, uh, strain, and uh, White Labs has that as the uh, German Bach yeast. And uh, I tend to, for quite a while, I tend to use that for every lager I did. Recently, I've been doing some yeast experiments, and so I've really liked the 830 yeast again. Okay. Um, you know, most of those lager yeasts, I'll tell you, just about every lager yeast that White Labs and White Yeast makes are excellent lager yeasts. And what you want to do is, you know, try the different ones, see which one works best with your fermentation style and your um, uh, recipe style and how you brew and what you like in the final flavor. And once you come across one of those, just use it for every lager you make. And I think I think that's a, a good approach because it'll give you a chance to really learn that yeast and uh, you, know, you can build up big pitches of the yeast and you can, uh, you know, you can really uh, uh, start to understand. You can become the yeast whisperer. <laughs> <laughs> you beard dork. That's uh, 
I can see that movie in the Cannes Film Festival this yeah. year. I'm going to have Brew Wars. Here's that. Yeah. Um, how do you prep whole whole corn? Whole corn, you would have to grind it up, and you need to remove the uh, little uh, little pointy end there and uh, any anything else that's not uh, desirable in there. Okay. So uh, polenta, they also do a bunch of other stuff to it, and boiling it and steaming it and grinding it down and all that stuff. Any micro versions of this beer that you like? Uh, no, not that I know of. What about there that, might be some uh, out there I just can't remember. What about the Kona Lager? And that's not a real popular one. I like it. Uh, is though. Kona Lager uh, a cap? Or that is that more of a German style? I, I don't know. I, I Never had it? Don't think I've had it. Or if I did, I don't remember. Good question. Give it a try, Jamil, and get back to me, huh, buddy? Sure. <laughs> now, that's a good one. I like it. People complain about it because I don't think they brew it themselves anymore. But uh, I, think, I think that's I think a good Widmere one. I brews it. All right, uh, here's what I want you to do, if you can, Jamil, in just a few sentences. Can you give us a summary of this style? How, uh, what's your ingredients, uh, fermentation, the whole bit? And so, an extract version. Yeah, it's hard to do extract because you can't uh, do the corn. Okay. You need to you need to do a mini mash for the corn. Okay. you got two minutes. So, All right, so what I do is about 75% Pilsner malt, uh, continental Pilsner malt, 25% flaked corn, uh, gotten fresh from a good brew source, then uh, I'll IBUs to about 35 IBUs, a bunch of it towards the late hops to give you that hop flavor and aroma. And uh, starting gravity is going to be around 1057, 1056 to 1058 are in, in there. And uh, your bitter into gravity ratio tends to be about 0.6. I will f- uh, mash at 148 with a single infusion and uh, boil you know, uh, 60 to 90 minutes, depending on what your preference is. And for fermentation, I'll use the Eyinger Bach yeast, the uh, White Labs Bach yeast, or you can use the WLP 800 or the uh, Y yeast 2278, uh, which is the uh, Czech Pills yeast, and that'll make a nice beer as well. Ferment cold. And, you know, pitch cold, make a big starter or a big pitch of yeast, uh, drop it in there cold, let it warm up to about 50 degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, ferment that out. Let it sit there a good, you know, four weeks. It'll take a long time at that temp, but uh, it'll make a real rich, uh, nice, clean uh, pilsner. And uh, that's what I would do. Beautiful. All right. What's so, uh, Jamil Skyping it in. Yeah, Skyping it in. Uh, coming up after this is a repeat of the Sunday show. Mm-hmm. And uh, tomorrow at this time, on Tuesday, 10 o'clock, is uh, the Oz Craft Brewer Show, one of my favorites. And the next uh, uh, Jamil show is, I think, Weissbier. Weizen and Weissbier. Yes, uh, German, uh, the German Heffes. Cool. Thanks, Jamil. Great. See you, Jamil. Thanks. Take care. Cheers, bud. Jamil Show has been a production of the Brewing Network. Please send questions for Jamil to Jamil at the Brewing Network.com. 
The Jamil Show airs live every other Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Brewing Network.